Stephen King has an unfortunate history of his books not being effectively translated to film. There are some exceptions to this. However, the latest incarnation is a smouldering wreck. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Just a flesh wound. Axe on that. Axe on. I know Kung Fu. Hey, motherfucker. Here, all the earth. Come out to play. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Show me the money. I drink your milkshake. The snozberries taste like snozberries. How do you like them, all right, all right, all right. These guys are 11. I'll be back. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. Welcome to 22 Pop Culture. I'm Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. And we, when I say we, Monica and Jason are talking about Firestarter because I didn't get to watch it. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's all right. You're, you're the wingman on this one. Look, I, I, 11% of Rotten Tomatoes, I didn't, I didn't rush. <laughs> oh, look, if we're going to be honest. the recording date crept up faster than, than that look, desire. Before we, before we go into it, I've got a bone to pick with Scott because he's just thrashing me on this uh word all like game <laughs> that you can do called framed and far out i'm so behind you know i think i've won four out of the 30 that we've done so that's what keeps <laughs> popping up in the chat yeah, that's what keeps popping up. <laughs> and yeah so i've got a bone to pick with him about that it, it is a really good little puzzle thing for if you love your films go try it um i obviously don't pay enough attention <laughs> Would that be an indicator of how much of my life has been wasted? <laughs> no, I, I, it, Hardly. It, I think when they're films when I was younger, I'm really quick on it and I'll get them. But when they're films that are sort of more current, I haven't obviously, yeah. I, I don't know, absorbed them as clearly as you have. And it's quite an interesting thing. So oh, man, I've just stumbled through no, <laughs> no Country for Old Men. I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> That was good because I actually got to see that as a. You nailed it. Was, yeah. Well, that was easy for me, that one. But yeah, there's, there's films that obviously stand out. So the. God's promise. in one shot. Yeah. Well, we both got. um. What was it? The, the Last Crusade in one shot. Yeah. Mm. What was All right. Shot? But we're actually here to talk about fires. Oh, the, the, the rock, the, 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 the desert. Yeah, it's like paramount. right at the intro of the film. Yeah. Oh, it's yes. Like the very yep. first shot of the film almost. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Another one. So, fire starter. Now, <sighs> I I remember watching on VHS. I have to say, I didn't get to see it at the cinema. I was probably a bit too young at the time to see the film in the eighties. Um, with you know a, a slightly older Drew Barrymore, eighty four, yeah, being Charlie, and um, it it was pretty bad. But I have to say now, 
I actually respect that film far <laughs> more <laughs> as a result of seeing the latest version. This was so bad. I, I've I seen the old one, right? Yeah. I have. I've not read the book. It's one, one of the few, very few Stephen Kings that I've missed. I've seen the old film, and I think that maybe that's why I haven't bothered with the book, because the movie, I was just like, eh. The plot doesn't grab me as, like, particularly interesting. Well, it, it was it was a time where he had a bit of his world evolving, I guess, and you had the shop, which is this sort of government institution that uh, does bad things, and he's almost revisited it with uh, the Institute and stuff like mm. that. But um, it... it it was. It's a good book. I, I'm not going to say it's a bad book. It's actually quite enjoyable to read. And the dodgy part of um, the '80s film was sort of the effects and um, some of the clumsy work with, I guess, Drew Barrymore and the acting. But um, you come to this one, and this is just a train wreck. <laughs> They've changed the story. They they changed. Uh, what is it? Is it George C. Scott? I think his name was. Yeah, yeah, that's the actor who was the villain based on the proper villain from the story to this other one who's just another one like her um, being used and abused. And changing the narrative of that original story really blew the dynamic of the film completely. Um, so I don't know what... Monica's probably going to talk about this without no understanding of the story in terms of the book, but... Mm. Um, I'm going to talk from that. Yeah, you're, so you're just like, things. well, here's a piece of shit for you today. Yeah, but yeah. So today I'm going to talk about a huge piece of crap today. Yeah. But the the oh. point I guess I'm making is they've they've actually pulled one of the main tensions that exists in the book and even mm -hmm. in that earlier film straight out of it, and okay. that was the fact that they had someone working for the shop, uh, pretty much trying to get her trust. And mm -hmm. does gain her trust to the point where he almost kills her as a result. Mm -hmm. And this one's just totally different. This is there is no tension. It's mm. none at all. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to let Monica talk about it just from an objective. I don't know what the hell's going on type concept of the film, but I'll, I'll add as I go. Yeah. Um, I. Um, in my ignorance, have never read a Stephen King novel. Um, and I'm not overly familiar with a lot of his films. Um, I've seen the original It television series with Tim Curry. Um, I've seen The Green Mile, which I believe is based on one of his books as well. And um, this one I just thought was a massive turd. I didn't even finish the movie. I stopped halfway through. I couldn't keep watching and doing this to myself. <laughs> From the minute they misused Kurtwood Smith, who I love and adore from RoboCop and that 70s show. And he's just there <laughs> to drop some exposition. <laughs> and Topher Grace is dead in this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what a awkward family dynamic between these two parents who from the opening credits of the scene were um, gifted with special abilities um, from a young age and then experimented on to have a child and then have very differing opinions on how this um, daughter of theirs, Charlie, can control their pyromania. It's just so bizarre and so disjointed. Um, yeah, I didn't like this movie one bit. And then who was it, Rainbird or whatever his name is, gets sent after to 
um, take the child, um, the mother dies and no one cares and they just move along and, yeah, what a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's it. I have to say this is loosely based on the mm. story now because in name only. Well, not completely, but <laughs> oh, it's, she has pyrokinesis and <laughs> yeah, and there is the shop and the organization. But uh, Monica's actually pointed out one of the differences as well in terms of the original story was they were experimented on with a with various drugs and things like that, which caused the uh, psychic abilities. Oh, okay. And, you know, a lot of the people around them died and went crazy, clawed their own eyes out and things like that in experiments. And they ran away and had a child and that's been them on the run the whole time. And um, even the pacing of the original film and the book sort of starts you with them on the run. Mm. So you've already got this sort of urgency of what they're trying to do. This one sort of does this weird good 20 minutes of the family life and building up of who Charlie is and what she can do without yes. needing to do it. it. It's one of these things that can be done straight off the bat. And um, that was one of the first major mistakes, let alone the sort of dodgy script and... Um, I yeah, whether there was any good acting. I mean, Drew Barrymore, I have to say, outacts the girl in this one. It's um, mm. even though she's younger when she did, as in Drew Barrymore was, mm. there's something a little bit more convincing about her than this girl. It's just sort of, yeah, unfortunately, a missed opportunity, I guess, to improve on what was already made into a film, but at the same time. I, like I said before we started the podcast, there's so much Stephen King material out there. I don't know why they have to revisit things that have already been made. They can actually just go start working with the new things that are out there. And a lot of that's been really successful. So, you know, like mm. The Outsider is a good example as a television oh, series. Oh, God. That... <laughs> <laughs> Monica. <laughs> the Outsider is so good. <laughs> yeah but that that's that's an example because that's actually more current that that, that mm. wasn't written that long ago and they yeah mr mercedes worked as well as a tv show um and the books the book series is really good and mm. it the very first well i think the first part of it works better than the second one but that's uh, a it, book too. <laughs> yeah but as a book and as a film yeah. um it that was successful and you know mm. it's become become the most uh, Doctor uh, Sleep was it, phenomenal. Yeah, Doctor Sleep was. I I wouldn't put it up there with The Shining in terms of as the sequel to The Shining, but it, it was definitely effective and really really well done. Um, so it can be done. It, it, Stephen King can be translated. He's certainly on a roll at the moment too, because we had what The Stand as an event miniseries. Like, like well, it wasn't yep. very good, but we had. <laughs> so. When was um Firestarter published the novel? Oh, quick Scott. <laughs> I can't remember. I don't have my bookshelf handy. You like me to tell you. Um, um, I'm imagining no, it was published it was in 1980. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The reason I'm asking is um, it seems to me that the film is sort of set in the wrong era as well, mm. with no Wi Fi, no mobile phones, and all that kind of stuff, which they talk about as to why they're on the run because they can be tracked using those things. Um, it doesn't necessarily feel as though that's something that is um, 
part of the story that felt like a very artificial add-on because you're taking you're placing the movie in the modern era so I was just like well were the parents the subject of like an MK Ultra experiment gone wrong or something well, that's like what that it's meant to be but yeah. yeah that's that was what I thought so maybe it's um LSD a, for maybe everyone. maybe yeah, it's also essentially it was something like that it was yeah six, wasn't it? yeah yeah so maybe it's a question of an um, which time period the, this reboot is also set. Um, so that creates a different disconnect from the source material yet again. Um, it might be in name only, but it's also setting it in the wrong kind of period to understand all the nuances to a story to make it good. Yeah, I mean, that that whole Wi-Fi and phone thing was just, you know, it was A bit of a cop-out. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, if you look at this. All these modern inconveniences and ruin the tension. Yeah. <laughs> Even well, I think it, it is an interesting point though, because when we look at setting a story that was written, you know, say 20, 30 years ago or more, mm. uh, 40. Yeah, I didn't mean this one specifically, but I meant, you know, mm. when it predates a lot of the technology that is around now and then trying to translate it, contemporize it. Yeah, it doesn't always work. It can't, it's becoming harder to sort of fit them because a lot of the tensions and problems. Mm. Mm. Uh, could be solved by the technology instantly. Yeah, no, exactly. But um, if this put a drone this... up, <laughs> <laughs> there's a shark, he's a big shark. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if this were published in 1980 it would still make sense to set the film in 1980 because we still have the nostalgia from the 1980s um being warmly welcomed onto the scene i mean stranger yeah. things is about to enter chuck, last season like it's not songs into it you, you've yeah it, it, it's not something that's going to be unwelcome or too unfamiliar to audiences so i'm just yeah that it's a little bit it um, strange <laughs> yeah well it it was very borderline because really a lot of it uh, it was meant to be the 50s. In the it was book. meant to be the 50s, not the 80s. So mm. uh, it's it, it's sort of unfortunately, I think, one of the deficiencies of it is that you lose that innocence of the 50s and that the un- yeah. of the concept of the innocence of the 50s because that's what happens in the book. You know, the, mm. it, you think of the 50s in one way and this just totally pulls a rug out from under it in the book. Yeah. Um, so that alone gets lost in the translation to it being moved to the 80s. Mm. Uh, but this one, I don't know whether the time period was the biggest issue. It was just more they didn't really understand where the tensions lay in the book mm. and couldn't make a good story out of it because they removed the major components that make th- makes the book work and even makes the older film Three thousand percent better than this one, even yeah. though it's a bad film, you know, like the the original one. Mm. Which you do? I mean, it's it's a Jason Blum production. Who, uh, as far as his film productions go, I think is generally pretty careful. We have some really great ones in there. You've got, you know, every The Purge, Invisible Man, and then you've got Halloween Kills and stuff like that. So, <laughs> but like us, Get Out. Yeah, like, that's there's the a lot that... of very considered and very well made horror films in his uh catalogue. He's one of the most um as far as a production house owned by an individual producer putting out some pretty good content. 
but from what you guys are saying, this doesn't sound like it was particularly well thought out or... It actually came across as a bit made for television, to be honest. Yeah. It, it sort of had this weird editing style of the action sequences that didn't give you a sense of actually what was going on in terms of action. It, it had really unusual framing, you know, how you've got a two-person mm. shot and you always have a space in front of the person looking. This mm. did the opposite. So, you know... I mean, in terms of if I did a video, I'd be doing it like this. But say you're looking off to the right, they put the head on the right-hand side of the screen, which doesn't make any sense. So when they start cutting between people talking, you're sort of going, what? what? <laughs> Where are they? Why, well, they crossed and the line? Or? No, they didn't cross the line. They just sort of did that really bad thing of not putting the direction of sight with space in front of them. Yep. So the direction of sight went off the edge oh, of the screen. Off screen. <laughs> yeah. So it's... It had really weird things like that throughout it. And then, you know, I'd have to say fairly standard special effects. Like I, yeah. I look back at the uh, original Firestarter and it, it obviously doesn't have as good special effects, but for some reason it sort of at least gave you a sense of the action of what's going on. And this one just didn't do that. No, it doesn't. I thought the effects were especially bad. There's um, a little bit of um, action in the opening scenes where Zac Efron um, recalls um, picking up his baby um, from the crib because it's a fire. And then he's just holding this puppet or this doll and it just goes, flames. <laughs> hilarious, but really, really bad and fake looking. <laughs> I started well, laughing. I'm which just is not I was nice curious like, with what you're talking about. So I looked up the director and so it's directed by Keith Thomas, who directed The Vigil, which is one of the best horror films i've seen in a really long time and he's also been picked up by Guillermo del toro for del toro's new anthology series the cabinet of curiosities um not a bad director like the vigil is um terrifying like genuinely really really good horror film so it's interesting that this didn't work for him well it it's hard to tell where the problem lies because mm. I mean, if you're talking about cinematography being really dodgy uh, a script being really dodgy where mm-hmm. you know your actors being very average, where do you go as a director? It's um, mm-hmm. I think a director oh, from can't the, from the writer of Halloween play. Kills. Say it again. From the writer of Halloween Kills. Well, there you go. There we go. The horse that keeps getting beaten and doesn't die. <laughs> we found him. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh, like I said, don't bother with this one. If you enjoy Stephen King, um, read the books and then maybe selectively watch some of the translations to whether it's silver screen or cinema um, because the history of it's bad and this just added to that bad history. Yeah, please. If you'd like to know more about Stephen King, please listen to our Stephen King special from season one of Pop Culture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, please don't pay money to see this movie. <laughs> steal this movie. I'm not saying steal. I'm just no, saying wait till it's been it. screened or something on the air. Oh, but no, even no. there, you'd have to be. I got through it only because I like Stephen King as a as an author, and I was hoping that I'd get some something that maybe was lacking from the original film out of this one, and I was sorely disappointed. Mm. You, you guys should totally watch the vigil. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I will. It scared me. 
Can I watch it during the daytime? Is that okay? Of course you can. You, <laughs> you, you're a big girl. You do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, yeah, that's don't true. Don't watch it. I don't care. <laughs> <Whatever> I <like. laughs> no, you have to watch it with you. <laughs> Blackout. <laughs> and headphones. That's the only time I can do horror. It's during the day. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Pop Culture. I've been Scott. I'm still Jason. And I'm still Monica. Pop Culture is produced by and recorded by Jason Eddy, Monica Porto, and Scott Souter. The song used at the end of this episode was, of course, Firestarter by The Prodigy. If you're enjoying the show, please, I invite you to jump onto Apple Podcasts, or really, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and leave us a review. You can also follow us on social media. We're available at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash popculturepod. We're on Twitter at popcultureau, and we are on Instagram, and we are on YouTube. Thanks, guys, and we will catch you next week on Popped Culture. Mike